Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you this morning. Do you have your Bible with you? Yeah, Romans chapter 10 is where you need to go. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, grab one from the pew rack right in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at all, keep that one as our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word. We want you to know God's Word. We want you to read God's Word. Uh, we've been studying in Romans for quite some time now. Last week, we moved into chapter 10, and we saw not just the next step in the argument, but we saw the Apostle's heart. See, for Paul, all of this is about more than theology. Uh, it's about more than just simple truth. It's like falling in love, right? Like, like Bailey talked about. It's about his heart, um, and he's concerned about his neighbor, his friend, his countrymen. Uh, these people are outside of God's grace. Uh, they are outside of his people, and this breaks Paul's heart. And it should break our hearts as well, because we have neighbors, uh, we have friends, we have relatives who at this moment are outside of God's grace. They are not part of his people, and uh, they are under the wrath of God. Because of that, because of their sin, it should break our hearts. Paul said his heart's desire and his prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And I wonder what our heart's desire is. I wonder what our prayer for our neighbor is. I wonder what our prayer for the nations is. Is it for their salvation? Is that what we are looking toward? Is that why we are living and preaching the gospel is so that they might be saved? We also talked last week about what part of what breaks Paul's heart is that these people that he loves so much are seeking to establish a righteousness of their own. They're not submitting to the righteousness of God. They're not receiving the righteousness of God, which comes as a gift by his grace. They're trying to, by works of the law, establish a righteousness of their own. And we know that that's impossible. We know that that fails every time. And we know this not just because God's word has taught us this. We know this because we've tried it ourselves, right? We have tried to establish a righteousness of our own according to the law and have fallen short. And we do fall short every time. Paul is trying to say there's a righteousness from God that is given to us, is credited to our account as a gift of his grace and received by faith. This week, we're going to see uh, a large portion of uh, Romans chapter 10. Uh, Romans chapter 10, big section of the text, more than we've bit off at any point in our study of Romans, I think, up to this date. Um, but it is all good stuff. You know, sometimes I talk about scripture like it's uh, my mom's dessert that she makes, right? And I talk to you about how sometimes... We treat it like this chocolate cake, this really rich chocolate cake that she makes where you just got to take just a little bite at a time and savor all the unique flavors in it. And sometimes it's like apple pie uh, where you don't have to treat it so delicately and you just shovel it in as fast as you can. Um, that's like today. It's just so good. We want to get as much of it as possible. We're going to see today Paul elaborate on two points from the last verse of last week where he basically said Christ is the end of the era of the law and makes available a righteousness that can be attained through faith. And also, that this righteousness that comes from God by faith is available to all who believe. So the Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, and this righteousness that comes from God is available to all who believe. What you're going to see in verses 5 to 13 is an elaboration on those two big ideas. We'll continue to see some contrast, contrast between faith and works, contrast between God's righteousness and our righteousness, and a contrast between Christ and the law. All of these things being, being put together in a contrast, and we're going to see good news today. Good news of great joy that's for all the people, right? Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says this. God's word says this. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. 
For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this good news. Great joy. It's for all the people. That whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I thank you that our righteous standing before you is not a, a product of work, a product of doing. It's a product of grace received by believing and trusting. God, I thank you for the gospel, and it is good news. This is good news for me today. It's good news for all of us in this room today. It's good news for the whole world. I pray that you help us to understand this good news. Help us to trust in your grace. Help us to proclaim this good news to the people around us and the people around the world who desperately need to hear it. God, have your way with your word in our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff, right? It's it's like apple pie, isn't it? I just can't can't beat it. Uh, Start out in verse 5. Scripture says, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law, if you're an underliner or a highlighter, that would probably be good to underline, righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. Basically what Paul is doing in verse 5 is he's laying out the impossibility of attaining a righteousness based on the law. He's saying it's impossible. It's impossible to attain a righteous standing before God by doing works of the law. If one is going to try to establish his own righteousness by works of the law, then he is going to have to keep every bit of the law all of the time absolutely perfectly. If we're going to say, all right, God, I'm, I'm going the works-based route for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to establish my own righteousness before you. If you're going to go that route, you need to understand that one little mistake will damn you for eternity. That if you have broken one little part of the law, Scripture says you've broken all of the law. And if we are going to seek to establish a righteousness of our own, which is based on works of the law, then we are going to have to keep absolutely all of the law, absolutely all of the time. Does that sound very hopeful to you? Any of you want to sign on for that mission today? I'm in. I'm going to keep all the law all the time. Yeah, probably you'd break it before you got down here to sign the card, right? You'd break the law. In other words, he's talking about the impossibility of establishing a righteousness of our own. No one has done this. No one has kept all of the law all of the time except for Jesus himself, right? No one has done this. No one will do this. Even if you set your mind to it, even if you... even if you engaged all of your will, even if you rallied a bunch of people around you to help you in all of this, you will not keep all of the law all of the time. And maybe the most important thing to hear is that you cannot do this. 
Not just you have not, not just you will not, but you cannot do this. We do not have the capacity to keep all of the law all of the time, and therefore we need another righteousness, right? We cannot establish a righteousness of our own according to the law, so therefore we need another righteousness. One scholar said of verse 5, he said, quote, The man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness, end quote, is of itself an adequate and watertight definition of the principle of legalism. Legalism is seeking to establish a righteous standing before God by your own works. That is what legalism is. Legalism is not a Christian who is trusting in God's grace for his righteousness, who desires to do what is right because scripture tells us to do what is right. I want to say this to you because I hear in this church the word legalism thrown around and misused all the time as if any attempt to keep a rule is legalism in itself. It's not legalism. That might be just mere Christianity is keeping the rules that God has laid out for us. But if we are keeping those, those rules in order to establish a righteous standing before God and not depending on grace for our righteousness, then that's legalism. If I just want to do what's right because God has changed my heart and given me a new desire, that's not necessarily legalism. Are you with me on this? So stop throwing that word around. Every time someone wants to do the right thing, don't call them a legalist, right? You with me on that? Well, maybe you will be. I want to leave you there. Legalism is when we're trying to establish a righteousness of our own apart from God's grace. We're trying to establish this righteous standing before God by our works of the law. So maybe we'll boil it down this way. When we look at verse 5, the righteousness of men that comes from the law is about doing. Mark that down. It's about doing. We've got to do the law, and we've got to do the law all of the time. We will see later that the gospel, the good news of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, is not about doing. It's about believing. It's about trusting. It's not about doing or performing. It's about depending and trusting on Jesus Christ to give us a righteousness, all right? So in verse 5, we've got this impossibility of attaining a righteous standing by works of the law. In verse 6, he's going to begin the contrast, but he's going to continue to talk about the impossibility of attaining a righteous standing by works of the law. Look at verse 6. It says, but the righteousness based on faith, all right, that's the other side of it. We've got a righteousness based on the law, and then we've got a righteousness based on faith. The righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up. So here begins the contrast. Faith righteousness does not say that you must do some impossible thing. The gospel is not saying to you, you must do something impossible. Don't say in your heart, I got to work my way up to heaven and bring Christ down. Don't say in your heart, I got to go down into the grave and bring Christ up. The gospel is not about you doing some superhuman, impossible thing. In fact, the implication is, who has gone up to heaven and brought Christ down? God has done that, right? Who has gone down into the grave and brought Christ up? God has done that. The gospel is not about you doing something. It's about God doing something for you and giving you a great gift, right? This is why it's good news. If it was a righteousness based on the law, it would be bad news because we would fail and it's impossible. But a righteousness based on faith is good news because it's not about something we do. It's about something God has done. So he says, don't say this impossible thing. The word of faith is not about this impossible thing. It's about what God has done for us. Jesus came down, right? He came down. We're going to celebrate that in a couple months, right? Christmas is just around the corner. We're going to celebrate the coming down of Jesus. But Jesus came down and he lived this perfect life. Never sinned, never, never broke the law at all. 
He did great things for the people around him, right? He taught them amazing truths. He showed them incredible things. He healed people who were sick. He fed people who were hungry. He had compassion on people who were dirty and ostracized from the community. Jesus did all these incredible things. And then they arrested him. They arrested him and they accused him of blasphemy. His friends deserted him. One of his friends betrayed him into the hands of the authorities. The authorities took him and they beat him. They mocked him. They plucked his beard out. They blindfolded him and hit him with rods and said, Prophesy, prophesy, son of man, who hit you? They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a purple robe on his back that had been beaten to a pulp. Then they led him out of the city. They crucified him. The one who'd never done anything wrong to anyone. The one who was absolutely without sin. The Lamb of God. They crucified him. Why? Why would this happen? He didn't deserve that, did he? I did. I deserve that. Why did it happen? Because Jesus died in our place. Scripture says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he really did die. He wasn't faking. He didn't pass out. He didn't swoon. He really did die, and the soldiers made sure that he died. They stuck the spear in his side and made sure he water and blood. He died for our sins. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. And after he died, they buried him. What if it stopped there? What if that was the end of the story? Jesus died for our sins and he was buried. We sure wouldn't be here today, right? We sure wouldn't sing songs about you are stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken, you have saved me. It's not the end of the story. He died for our sins and he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. According to the scriptures, this is exactly what happened. He rose victorious over sin and death and hell. Christ has come down and died for our sins and he was buried. And Christ has come up from the grave, right? By the power of his own his own power, and by the power of the Spirit, and by the power of the Father, he was raised from the dead. This has happened for us. We don't have to go up and bring him down. We don't have to go down and bring him up. All of this has already taken place. God has already done what is necessary for our salvation. It's not about us doing. It's about believing Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and was raised the third day according to the scriptures. He is victorious over sin and death and hell, and he offers us this victory. Look what it says. Look what it says in verse 8. Verse 6 and 7 says, don't say, the righteousness based on the faith speaks as follows. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? What is the word of faith? What does the righteousness based on faith say? It says the word is near you. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. The righteousness of faith is not about doing something. The righteousness of the faith is about something that is near, something that is possible. The righteousness that comes by the law is impossible. It is inaccessible. It is unattainable. But the righteousness of faith, it's not far off. It's not impossible. It's not unaccessible. He says here, it's near you. The word of faith is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. This good news is not about some impossible superhuman thing. It's about something that is very much possible. Very much possible. 
He uses the word preaching here in the present tense. He's referring not to once in a while preaching. The word of faith which we are preaching is not a once in a while preaching. It is a consistent habit of preaching. I want us to develop a consistent habit of preaching the gospel. Make it present tense in your life. Not just I preach the gospel. I used to preach the gospel, but I am preaching the gospel. The word of faith. One scholar says Paul points to texts in Deuteronomy and Leviticus to show the impossibility of obtaining righteousness by trying to keep the law. And by contrast, the easy availability of righteousness that God gives to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So we've got impossibility on the one hand, inaccessibility on the one hand, and we've got possibility on the other hand, and accessibility on the other hand. He's saying that the gospel is near to you. And I want you to hear this. Every commentator I read on this text talked about that same thing. Talked about how how this righteousness of works, this righteousness of law is impossible, it's far from you, but the righteousness of faith is possible and it's near to you. Every scholar made that contrast. Talked about how accessible the gospel is to us. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that here in Harrisburg, that is true. That the gospel is near to us. The gospel is accessible to us. The righteousness, which is by faith, is accessible to us here in Harrisburg. We are blessed beyond our comprehension to have this access to the gospel. But what I want you to hear is that is not the case in a lot of the world today. We cannot say in a lot of the world today that the gospel is near to them. We cannot say of 3,000 groups of people in the world that they have easy access to the gospel. In fact, amongst 3,000 people groups, that is a, a group of people who share a language, who share a culture, who share customs, amongst 3,000 people groups like that, nations or ethnicities, they don't have any access to the gospel. So in other words, if the righteousness which is based on works is impossible, For 3,000 groups of people, the righteousness of faith is also equally impossible for them because no one is there to deliver the good news to them. I'm stepping a little bit on what Joe T. is going to preach next week, but how could they believe? How could they have the righteousness of faith if they've never heard about the righteousness of faith? How can they believe in Jesus Christ and be safe if they've never heard about Jesus Christ? So as much as I want to celebrate that the gospel is near to us in this room, I want to mourn over the fact that the gospel is far from a lot of people on the planet today. And as David Platt would say, this is unacceptable. It's unacceptable that there are 3,000 groups of people who've never heard about Jesus Christ. And it is our obligation, I'm using that word carefully, it is our obligation to get the gospel to them, to get the good news to them. David Platt says, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of heaven. We must take the gospel to them, and if we can't take the gospel to them, we must send the gospel to them. This is our obligation. I want to be able to say of all the peoples on the planet, the word is near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. This gospel, this righteousness that comes by faith is close to you. It's possible. It's attainable. It's accessible. But for 3,000 groups, it's not. It's not because no one's there telling them. And so we must go. But we must send. And we must certainly pray that God would take the gospel to the nations. Look at the response to all of this. If the word of faith is near to us, 
in our mouth, in our heart, the word of faith which we are preaching, here in verse 9 is the response. Here's the response to this good news. The righteousness based on the law is impossible. The righteousness based on faith is possible. It's accessible. And here's the response. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Here it is, the heart of the invitation and the promise of the gospel. Notice that it's not about doing, it's not about superhuman performance, it's about trusting in Jesus Christ. First, look at the content of the response. There is specific content to the response. It's not just believe in general, it's not just hope in general, it's not about sincerity. We talked about that last week, right? There are a lot of people that are sincerely wrong. That the faith that brings about righteousness is a specific faith. So there is content to it. The first bit of content is about Jesus as Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. In other words, there are some specific things that we must confess about Jesus. We must know something about his person, who he is. And we must, we must confess that he is not just generally Lord. He is generally Lord, right? He is Lord of all, we sang a little while ago. But acknowledging him as Lord of all is not what salvation is about. It's acknowledging him as your Lord. What does the word Lord mean? I had one little kid explain this to me one time. I asked him that. He had some questions about the gospel. And I said, what do you think it means that Jesus is Lord? And he said, oh, that's easy. He's the boss. He's the boss. That's exactly what it means to be Lord. The one who is in charge, the one who has authority, the one who's in control, the one who is the boss is the Lord. And so part of salvation, part of the response to the gospel is, I must say, Jesus is boss. Not just boss generally, but Jesus is boss in my life, and I am submitting to his lordship. So confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's about his person. Uh, And secondly, he says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is about Jesus' work, and it implies all the work. When we talk about uh, Jesus being raised from the dead, that implies his death, right? So even, even though Paul doesn't articulate that here, we've got to believe in Jesus' death for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection. Because after all, we can't believe that he's been raised from the dead if he hasn't died in the first place, right? And we know he died not just because uh, he was a nice guy, but he died because he was burying our sins as our substitute, right? So Paul says, Confess with your mouth something about who Jesus is and believe in your heart about what Jesus has done. You catch that? So there's specific content. It's about the person and the work of Jesus. But also look at the response. Look at the action. He says confess with your mouth. This is something that's outward, right? Confessing with our mouth is outward. We've got to stand up and say Jesus is Lord. I'm going to confess with my mouth. Jesus is my Lord and he is Lord of all. And secondly, we believe in our hearts this is inward. So there's an outward element to this, and there's an inward element to this, and they go hand in hand. I want you to see that they cannot be separated. One scholar says it this way. Confessing with the mouth and believing with the heart are not separate actions. They are two sides of the same coin of real faith. Both the inward and the outward are important. No one is saved by merely the outward. The state of the heart is important. But Paul does not contemplate an inner state that is not reflected in the outward conduct. This guy goes on to say, if one really believes, he will confess Christ. So it's natural to link the two. If one really believes, he will confess Christ. It's natural to link the two. And I want to say, as your pastor, I'm worried. 
I'm worried that there are people in this room who have one but not the other. I'm worried that there are people who have stood up and confessed with their mouth Jesus as Lord. Some of them, some of them have done it right here. Some of them have done it right there. They have stood up and confessed with their mouths Jesus as Lord, but they do not believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. They've got an outward profession, but they don't have a possession of faith. Is that right? They've got a profession of faith, but not a possession of faith. There are a lot of people, maybe even this room today, who are in that boat, who have the outward but not the inward. And I also fear that there are people who are just the opposite. They believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and that God had raised him, raised him from the dead. They believe something of the person and work of Jesus Christ, but they're terrified to stand up and say it. This blows my mind, to be honest with you. To stand up and say Jesus is Lord in a place like this is easy. It is easy to stand up and confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord in Harrisburg. Some of our brothers and sisters risk their lives to stand up and say that. And yet they do it. And yet they do it. They will say, you know what? I'm going to stand up and say Jesus is Lord, and my father is probably going to try to kill me for this. I'm going to go through the waters of baptism, and my friends may try to kill me because of that. I may come out of that water to walk in newness of life and be killed immediately. And yet they're willing to do it. Why? Because the two go hand in hand, right? There are no secret disciples of Jesus Christ. If we're ashamed of him before men, he says, I'd be ashamed of you before my father. If you really believe, why would you not confess? I want to tell you, I get that people are scared of public speaking. But if you're more scared of public speaking than you are the final judgment, you got major problems. If you stand up and confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord in this place, you're going to be met with applause. We're going to be excited about that. Somebody might do a backflip. These two things go hand in hand. You got me on that? And I'm afraid that there are some of you that have one and not the other. You've made a profession of faith, but you don't really believe. And that's evidenced by the way you live. And some of you may believe some reason you won't profess and that would maybe cause me to question whether or not you really believe but you say you believe both of these things go hand in hand look what look how it's linked it's linked all throughout 9 and 10 if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation all the time they go together one scholar says confession without faith would be vain but likewise, faith without confession would be shown to be spurious. It's ridiculous to have one without the other. Read on in verse 11. This gets even better. Listen to this good news. It says, for the scripture says, whoever believes, whoever believes in, in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look at that. This is like wide open, wide open door for the gospel here in this place. Realize how privileged you are to have this today. For someone to stand before you and say, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not just the preacher saying that, I'm just reading it. This is what God has said. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I invite you to believe in him today and call upon him today. 
confess with your mouth today Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart today that God raised him from the dead today and be saved. One scholar said it this way. At an earlier stage in the argument of Romans, back in chapter 3, verse 22, the words, quote, there is no distinction, had a grim sound, right? No distinction between Jew and Greek. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. We all deserve condemnation and wrath from God. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. We all deserve to go to hell. That was the story in chapter 3, verse 22. It had a grim sound because they convicted Jews and Gentiles together of sin against God and incapacity to win his acceptance by personal effort or desert. That's what one else said. Now the same words have a joyful sound here because they proclaim to Jews and Gentiles together that the gates of God's mercy stand wide open for the entrance, that his free pardon is assured in Christ to all who claim it by faith. I love the picture of the doors wide open. The door of God's grace is wide open. One of my favorite preachers says, the open door is the only door. Right? This open door of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that's the only door. There's no other way to achieve a righteous standing before God but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So the open door is the only door. But the best news is the only door, it's open. The only door is an open door. It would be a sad day if I said the only way, the only way to achieve a righteous standing before God is through faith in Jesus Christ, and you can't have faith in Jesus Christ. Now go home and cry. Go home and be sad because there's no hope for you. I'm telling you, the only way to achieve a righteous standing before God is through faith in Jesus Christ, and you can believe in Jesus Christ today. You can have a righteous standing before God through faith in Jesus Christ today as a gift of his grace. Door, the only door, is wide open today. And there are, there are places on the planet where, where they don't even know there's a door, let alone an open door. They don't even know about the door. And here you are today, wide open door. And I invite you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ today and be saved. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Wayne Grudem, a great theologian, says this. He says, true saving faith includes three things, knowledge, approval, and personal trust. I want you to know today that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. I want you to know that, and I want you to approve that. I want you to affirm that, agree that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. But I'm telling you there are a lot of people in churches that never make that third step. They have knowledge and they have approval, but they don't have personal trust. Personal trust is this idea of believing. I talked to you before about the missionary who was trying to um, translate the scriptures into the language of a people, and they didn't have a word for faith, and he was trying to find a word for faith. What does it mean to believe? What is that, what is that idea? How can I communicate that? And a local man came running into his tent plopped himself down on a chair, and he said, oh, it's so good after running this far to rest my whole weight on this chair. And the missionary said, that's, that's it. That's the idea of faith. That's what it means to believe. After all of this running, after all of this trying to establish a righteousness of our own, to plop ourselves down on Jesus and rest our whole weight on him. Not to just agree, not to just agree with our heads that Jesus is Lord, not just to agree that he died for our sins and rose again, not just to accept these things and affirm these things as truth, but to build our lives on this truth, right? To depend entirely, not just for today, but for eternity on this truth. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being that rock in the middle of the road, that rock in the middle of the road that we'll either stumble over or we'll sit on. 
that rock in the middle of the road that we'll either stumble over and fall headlong into destruction or that rock that we'll build our lives on. That's what we're talking about today. Jesus is the rock in the middle of the road. Are you going to stumble over him and keep running, keep trying to establish a righteousness of your own? Or are you going to sit on the rock that is Christ and receive from God a righteousness that, that's apart from the law, a righteousness that exceeds any righteousness you could ever come up with, the righteousness of Christ imputed to you? That's the hope of the gospel. So application number one is this. The gospel is about believing, not doing. The gospel is about trusting and not performing. And that's why it's good news. If the gospel was about doing and performing, it'd be bad news because I don't do well and I don't perform well. But the gospel is about trusting and believing and the work that Jesus has already done. And that's why it's good news. That means it's good news for everybody. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Second application is not only is the gospel about believing and not doing, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. The open door is the only door, and the only door is the open door. Listen to the way one scholar talks about this. He says, everyone, this is what the text says, everyone, Jew, Gentile, religious, irreligious, good, bad, black, white, rich, poor, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that is, recognizes who Jesus is and our need for him, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means utterly loved, blessed, justified, eternally by God. Saved. Don't you love that word? You need to be saved. I, I, I was talking to a guy the other day. I hope this isn't embarrassing. I won't tell who, who it is. But he was talking about a dream that he had had. A dream that he had had. Uh, he was in a basement, and it was on fire, and there was absolutely no escape. No way to get out. There were no windows. In a basement on fire. And someone came and crashed down the walls of the basement and rescued him out of that fire. Man, that's what the gospel is, right? That Jesus comes in to our certain destruction and he doesn't assist us, he doesn't help us, he doesn't affirm us, he saves us. And we need to be saved because we deserve to be destroyed. We need to be saved and Jesus alone can save. I'm so thankful that God gives dreams like that. I'm so thankful that that is the picture of what he does in our hearts. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for you. Make sure that you don't believe without confession and that you don't confess without believing. Make sure you don't have some empty profession. We've seen that a few times in the last, in the last few weeks. People who've come to realize that they made a profession of faith at some point in their lives, but they didn't possess that faith that they professed then. Praise God he taught them that, right? Praise God that now they can say, I profess the faith that I possess, that it's no longer empty. It's real, and we see it demonstrated in their lives. The gospel's for you. The gospel's for your neighbor. The gospel's for your neighbor. Scripture says here that it's near to us. It's accessible to us. It's possible for us. It's for your neighbor. So take the gospel to your neighbor. Pray for your neighbor. May your heart's desire be that your neighbor would be saved. The gospel's for you. The gospel's for your neighbor. And the gospel's for the nations. They need to hear it. this everywhere there's not a church on every corner most places in the world today and we're going to go to a place here soon we're going to stand up on this mountain and look down over this city two million people live there maybe can count followers of jesus on her hands maybe can count the preachers of the gospel on our hands 
accessible. And yet here we are. We have access to the Lord right here. Some of you need to take the gospel to another place. Leave. Leave here. Plant your lives somewhere else and be the light in the darkness. Some of you need to do that. God is calling some of you to do that. And the rest of us who maybe are not being called to leave are being called to send those people, to support them, to pray for them, to finance them, to love them, to lift them up. John Piper says there's only three kinds of people. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and disobedient. What are you? Which of those three are you? You zealous goer? Then go. You a zealous sender? Then send. You disobedient? Then repent. Today. Repent. Today. It's disobedience. It's rebellion. Repent of it today and become a zealous goer or a zealous sender. The gospel is about believing and not doing. The gospel is for everyone, and the gospel is worth singing about, right? Let's sing about this good news. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's sing together and pray. God, we thank you for good news, great joy. It's for all the people. We thank you that this good news is not about doing. It's not about performance. It's about trusting, believing, depending on what you have done, on the work that you have done in Christ. I thank you that this good news is for everyone. That the only door is an open door. Pray for folks in this room today that you'll be clear with them, that you will show them if they have faith without confession or confession without faith. God, I pray that that you'll work in our hearts this morning. I pray that you use us as we leave this place to take the gospel to our neighbors, that we'll make clear that righteous standing before you is near, it's accessible, it's possible because it's a gift of your grace received by faith. God, I pray that as we leave this place, we will send or take the gospel to the nations with zeal, with boldness, with passion, with fearlessness. We know that they cannot believe if they have not heard, that they cannot have a righteous standing with you apart from the gospel. So I pray that you burden us to get it to them. And I pray that you help us to sing about this good news, to delight in the hope that is found only.